Hey everybody, this is Justin Michael Williams with Motivation for Black People, giving you trusted guidance to make your life better. <laughs> and I am so excited for this episode because I'm doing something that we've actually never done on this podcast. So two episodes ago, two weeks ago, you guys heard an episode where I got interviewed by Laura Cathcart Robbins and Hun on their podcast, The Only One in the Room. And we got such great feedback on that episode. I mean, I was really blown away by that, that we decided to actually flip the switch again and have me interview Laura. So I have Laura on the line right now. Laura, say what's up? Hey. <laughs> oh. Yes, Yes, what's up? So I was so excited for this because what people may not have known based on listening to that episode is that you have the most incredible, incredible story as a black woman on this path and the start of your podcast, the only one in the room comes from a deep, deep story that I think everybody will relate to. And, you know, one of the things that I wanted to really share for people as we go into this, like looking at this name of your podcast, you know, the only one in the room. I think as black people, we often find ourselves on either one side of the coin or the other as it comes to this. We are either often the only black person or only whatever in the room, or we are trying to avoid being the only one in the room and because it makes us uncomfortable. And sometimes being uncomfortable, we try to avoid being in those situations. And then sometimes we get pushed into those situations and we sit through the discomfort of it. And that and that also is, can be a trauma in itself. So there's a lot to unpack here. And I think regardless, for those of you listening, whatever side of this you fall on, I think you're going to be blown away by what Laura's been able to do with this movement, with her podcast. She's also a writer and what she's been able to do in the writer's room as it comes to different things with diversity and inclusion. She's been featured by the Huffington Post and the Temper and she writes about so many different things like race and recovery and even divorce. And this has literally garnered her worldwide acclaim. <laughs> so Laura, I want to just thank you really for being on this podcast, but also for for becoming a sister to me on this path. So I'm grateful to have you here and share your voice with everybody listening. Oh, wow. That is so great. I mean, that whole introduction, I was, it was just like a warm bath <laughs> into the introduction and felt all of it. Thank you. You know, and if I, if I do my, if I do my deep voice, then it's a real warm <laughs> bath. I'm just kidding. <laughs> true you do the rest of the interview like that no no we ain't doing a Barry White voice so so let me ask you a question Uh, let me Mm -hmm. ask you a question here so I want to actually dive in like straight away with this story about you being at this famed writer's retreat with two people some people that are listening might know with Elizabeth Gilbert who wrote Eat Pray Love and Big Magic which I've talked about a lot and Cheryl Strayed yeah. and I, I just want you to guide us through this experience from beginning to end to really give people a visceral experience of what happened here sure um well first of all I like you am a huge fan of I mean, I, fans not really the right word. I big magic has been one of my my bibles. Same, you know, for my creativity, it yeah. it unlocks something in me that I didn't even know was there. It's literally on my desk all the time. It's right next to me right now. Um, you know, it's not the only book next to me, but it's one of them. It stays steady on my desk, and I refer to it and and use it to to unlock things to um, inspire me. So when there was this opportunity, I'm part of a writer's group that's, um, we're all kind of around the country. Um, one of us is in Canada. We meet virtually, I'm sorry, we meet virtually every month. And um, there was this opportunity for us to go to this retreat. Um, Cheryl Strait and Elizabeth Gilbert were hosting Brave Magic, which is a combination of their two books. Um, yeah. Cheryl Strait wrote Brave. And um, it's a, it was local to me, the Santa Cruz Mountains. I'm in Los Angeles, so it was a, a, a you know kind of a longer drive or a short flight. 
and it was three days and I had never done anything like that. I had never gone. I had never gone. I was, so I was, I'm 55 now. So I was 53 and I had never been on a vacation without either my man or my kids. Mm. I'd never gone solo. Mm. So you went um, by yourself to this. I went by myself. Yeah. And this was your first ever kind of retreat kind of event environment that you've ever been to. I think this is important because I think right now so many of our listeners are starting to pique their interest in going to different retreats and events. And you were actually at 1440, right? I was at 1440 Multiversity, yes. Yeah, that's where I'm I'm teaching a retreat there in May, hopefully, if coronavirus don't take us out. But look, (laughs) that's, you know, so, (laughs) so, okay. All things to be determined from now on. (laughs) I know. So your first retreat, all alone. Yeah. And so, you know, I I flew up and rented a car and the Santa Cruz mountains are just gorgeous. It's a kind of treacherous driving up there, but really gorgeous. And, you know, there are big redwoods and pines and it smells, the air smells different and fresh. And it was um, September, so it was very crisp. And I arrived, I met the members of my writers group, but even before I met them, and we were all texting, of course, all the time. When I arrived and got in the check-in line, there were like 200 people, women, um, in this line. And as I was standing there waiting for the members of my group to show up, I realized that in this whole line, I didn't see another Black person. And I was like, huh, that's strange. Yeah. Like, I wonder where they are. <laughs> Maybe they're inside. Right. Maybe they got here early. Maybe they're coming later. And... You know, then, you know, the, the day went on and we, we met, met for dinner. There's, you know, everybody eats at the same time. And so we're in this huge kind of cafeteria space and I'm looking around and I say to one of them, do you think I'm the only black person here? And these women are all white in my writer's group. Right. And they all said yes at the same time. Wow. <laughs> like, noticing that too. And I'm getting all these stares, not unkind stares. But of curiosity, like people are just looking at me, though. Yeah. And to Um, give you all a picture, Laura is a beautiful, (laughs) tall. She got big curls coming, you know, out of her hair. I mean, just just stunning, tall black woman. And so, yes, you're getting these stares of curiosity. (laughs) Yes. And 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 the tall is important. I I feel like I was probably one of the tallest people there as well. So tall are you? I'm, I, you know, I'm not that tall. I'm almost five nine, but with your hair, again, you're almost six foot. With my hair, I'm almost six foot. These are all women, so yeah. I'm taller than most women. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you know, if it had been anyway, so yeah, so I just, I just kind of, you know, uh, took that in, and we hadn't really started the, um, the, I can't think of what it's called, but when we all got together and, um, like they're not classes, but. Kind of the, the morning sessions or sessions. Yeah. Thank mm-hmm. you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we hadn't started those yet. This was just the first day, the check-in. Then we had like a welcome reception, and um, and so I didn't, I didn't feel as othered that first day. I was just kind of noticing it. Uh, w- when I woke up the next morning and went into the first session, which was the entire group of us, and there's 600 people. Yeah. Um, and this is. And 600, that's inclu- that includes the faculty and the people who work there. So there were probably, you know, 500 and something people in attendance. But of all the 600 people I saw on campus the entire time, I was the only black person there. Yeah. So it was during the sessions that I started to feel that need for some affinity. Yeah. There were just things that were brought up that were brought up out of a, in a space of privilege Um, and I can't give you specifics. I wish I could, but just, you know, there, there were stories that were told and things that wouldn't have happened the same way to me or someone in my community. Right. And I'll I'll actually give you one example. And this didn't happen in the session, but it happened, um, outside of the session, you know, like the meeting after the meeting, after everybody kind of gathers. Yeah after the session and these these women were talking about how um one of the women was talking about how her son had gotten pulled over um and talked his way out of a ticket that was mm-hmm. what she was talking about she wasn't really talking about being pulled over 
she was illustrating how he was going to become an attorney. And this was an example of um, why he, it was a good thing for him to become an attorney because he could argue his way out of anything. And then she gave the example of him being pulled over and arguing his way out of a ticket. And I was sitting there in this group of people and I felt myself getting emotional because I knew that my two sons who were now 22 and 20, um, but they were both teenagers then. Um, I didn't know how old this woman's son was, but they, they, they are not allowed to argue their, their way out of a ticket. Absolutely. You know, that could mean that could be extremely dangerous for yeah. them and it could be jail and it could be death. Yeah. Um, and for her to have no idea that the experience for me might, might not just be different, but painful was painful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you know, this is so deep. I, I, you're reminding me like, as you're talking, I actually completely forgot about this too. A few years ago, I was in the car with one of my girlfriends and she's white and we're driving in her Prius and I'm in, I'm in the passenger seat and we get pulled over and she had kind of rolled through a stop sign but not really and then the cop pulled us over you know I'm black in the passenger seat and she's this white woman in the driver's seat and he pulls over and he rolls down the window and she starts going off on him like why Mm. why am I why are you pulling me over and he said are you guys smoking I thought I saw you throw something out of the thing she's like smoking I'm a yoga teacher what are you talking like screaming and I'm saying (laughs) I'm literally in the drive passenger seat like girl Uh You have a black man in this damn car next to you and you are going off on this police officer. Like, please, you know, and I like felt like I couldn't say anything. I couldn't do anything. And so it just showed me even her as a woman, as Mm -hmm. a, you know, which we talk so much about women's rights and all these different things. But still, she didn't even second guess, like going off on this police officer when he opened, moving, flying her hands, flying around. You know, when he opened or when she rolled down the window, meanwhile, I'm like heart racing, scared for my life. And so, you know, these are just such interesting dynamics that we have when we're in discussion with other people. And one thing that I wanted to ask you, though, Laura, that I have never heard you say or talk about is in that moment when you've realized you were the only black woman at the retreat, I really want people to place this like, 500, 600 people on a campus, you're the only black woman. And I think as black people, this is something that might happen to many of us, many of us frequently if we're, you know, attending a predominantly white college or school or university or a social group or a yoga class. Like sometimes it makes us immediately want to retreat and call someone on the phone or leave. So what made you comfortable enough to stay and not retreat, but to continue to be a part of this experience? I think that's a really good question. I don't know that I have a great answer for it, except that, um, first of all, I had paid for it. <laughs> Hello, that'll do it, right? <laughs> you wasn't getting, and 1440 ain't cheap, so you were not getting right? refunded. I was yeah. getting my money's worth. <laughs> um, no, I had paid for it, and I was also really excited to see the women from my writers group. Yeah. So I would have gone to 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 meet them anywhere, right? And just stayed for three days. And I, you know, I talk about this in the article and and on the podcast. But I was really used to being the only black person in many different situations. Tell me more about that. Tell me more about that. Well, in you know, when I was, I went to the. I so I a lot of my. I grew up in different places all my life, but I spent my childhood years in Cambridge, Mass. And at the Cambridge Montessori School, I was the only black girl in my class um, several times. The the classes, you know, would change each year. Uh, And prior to that, at the um, Quaker Friends School, which was the first school I went to there, I was was the only black person in the entire school. Wow. Um, Now, mind you, my... The way I was made to feel in these situations was was really I don't remember feeling othered. I I I remember understanding that there were differences between me and my peers, who I remember being all white. I don't remember any other races being there, but that you know I was a kid. I 
I could be misremembering something, but my experience was just that, oh, this is, I'm different in this way. And I was different in so many ways. We were poor. I was the only kid on scholarship. Um, and I, I mean, I say poor, that has really negative connotations, but we just really didn't have a lot of money, mm-hmm. certainly not enough money to send me there. And so, but the, the social experience then was then different too, because we didn't have the two-story home that all my peers did. We had an apartment, um, you know, and, and my mother slept in the living room and I had the bedroom. We had one bedroom apartments. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was, again, I don't remember feeling bad about my situation, but I remember noting that it was different. So I'm, you know, in, in high school in Berkeley, that's where I went to high, high school, you know, it was very diverse. It it reminds me of your description of Pittsburgh. Yeah. And just kind of like, I didn't, it wasn't, I didn't really factor in someone's race if I was going to be their friend or not. Right. Right. It just didn't, it just wasn't part of the equation. And, and there, it was very diverse. There were a lot of different people that I hung out with. Um, but sometimes I was the only black one and it just didn't really bother me. Yeah. And um, so did this change, yeah. did this shift or change as you got older and started to understand race and, and how it's working in the world? Or is this something that just kind of shaped your ability to be comfortable and engage in a space, you know, now or at this writer's retreat in particular? Yeah. I mean, I think it changed for me in my 20s when I lived in Florida um, for a few years and was refused service for the first time. And call the n-word um from people like driving by me yeah (laughs) like yelling it out of their cars yeah um i was you know charged a service charge in a restaurant for being black Mm. and i was just like what Mm. (laughs) so then i started to get my feelings hurt around it I, i i i got angry but i was also very hurt by the fact that people were scared of me simply because of the color, well, not just the color of my skin, because a lot of them were my color because it was Florida, right. but because of my race. Yeah. And um, so then I started to enter situations with more caution. Um, you know, my dad had told me this beautiful thing when I was five, my parents got divorced and I had to fly between the two of them. My dad lived in Florida and this is before cell phones and anything. So I was a five-year-old flying by myself, changing planes because there wasn't wow. a direct flight. Yeah. And my dad said, if you ever get lost, look for a sister and and they will help you out. And so, you know, not a nun, <laughs> right. a black woman. Right, <laughs> right, right. Not Sister Mary Clarence from um, Sister some Clarence. sister act. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> right. Oh, <laughs> love her. Um, but yeah, so I was trained from from that age on to look for black women, black people, but specifically black women as allies mm-hmm. in any situation I might be in, which also set me up to believe that the other people may not be as kind mm-hmm. to me or helpful. Mm-hmm. So I enter a room, I'm looking for a sister immediately. That's the first thing I do is I look to see where my allies are. Yeah. And when in a situation like at Brave Magic, when I look around and I don't see any of those allies, um, I don't have that affinity that that I need. I need to be able, like in that situation with the woman talking about her son arguing his way out of a ticket, I need to be able to look at somebody to my right or my left and be like, girl, mm-hmm. are you hearing this? Mm-hmm. Right. But I, I had none of that. To know I that you feel that, that empathy and somebody understands you and somebody yes. is with you. Yes. Yes. And it's just not the same when it comes from a white person. It's just not. And, you know, the women from my writer's group are woke and they're wonderful, but they don't have the same experience. Yeah. So we can't share it in the same way. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I absolutely know what you mean. I mean, I have, everybody around me knows I have a very multicultural group of friends and, you know, I have lots of white friends and I'm oftentimes in as people would imagine as a meditation teacher you know the only black person in the room like we talked about on your podcast and yeah you know even still as much as I can bond and be close 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 as hell with some of my friends who are not black there's still something unspoken energetically that connects us that connects me to my black friends of just like an unspoken 
you get it. You mm-hmm. get it, you know? And I, I think that's so important. And so I want to ask you, actually, Laura, like, what advice might you have for someone who doesn't grow up in the bubble that we've grown up in in California, you know, yeah. where we yeah. have the diversity and we have experience being, you know, comfortable around white people who are woke, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And what would advice would you give to someone who is more uncomfortable being in these situations and that it may be holding them back from experiencing things or going to events or trying new things because they're afraid of being the only black person in the room? Oh, boy. I mean, that's that's a really interesting one. I, I mean, I, w- I would say this for starters, that my going there and sitting through that discomfort was maybe one of the best things that ever happened to me. (laughs) Because when I wrote about the experience afterward, I saw a call for submissions in HuffPo um, about race. Huffington Post, y'all, for those y'all who don't know the writer's lingo, the Huffington Post. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Um, And I submitted it and it went live the next day. Like, and then it was, it was a, it was a tsunami. Yeah. It went completely Um, viral. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, then the idea for the podcast came out of that and blah, blah, blah. So, I mean, that's, that's, it's very surface, but that was one of the, it really was sitting through that discomfort garnered me something other than the experience that I got there, which is getting to know myself better. Every time I sit through discomfort, I get to know myself a little bit better. And, um, and sometimes that is painful, um, but it's always beneficial to me, Yeah, you know? And then the other thing is that, you know, it's so cliche, but going someplace and, and not trying to assimilate, just really being yourself. Um, you know, when you were, when I'm a fish out of water asking questions that I don't know, um, it makes me actually, instead of being more separate from it makes me more part of yeah like if i'm not familiar with language or lingo or they have a different lexicon and i you know i i'm i'm i feel like i'm listening to another language entirely and i ask questions that can allow me to participate in the conversations then i am welcomed in in a way that is always unexpected to me yeah um and and you know just to go in and, and, and observe. It's, it's really interesting to see people that you're not used to being around and, and learn more. I always kind of upgrade my technology when I'm in situations with people that aren't the same as me or aren't the same as the people that I'm used to seeing in my day to day. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I, that I'm feeling inspired to share is, um, and I agree with you, Laura, so fully. It just in my book, I have this practice where I ask people, like, how, when was the last time you were in a space where you were not the majority? And, like, how uncomfortable would that make you when you're, again, one of the only ones or a few in that space? Because so often we try to stay in our comfort zone. But we yeah. know that expansion and and change and growth does actually require us to step out of our comfort zone. And I think you nailed it by saying that when we put ourselves in these environments that I'm not saying to put us ourselves in environments that are unsafe, But I'm saying to put ourselves in environments that may be unusual for us actually gives us this brand new context that I think is really what the world needs more of right now, of us coming together and understanding one another and, and all of that. You know, because I think it is in these contexts when we put ourselves in uncomfortable positions that we really learn some of the greatest lessons and we're able to really grow and expand when we get outside of our comfort zone because that's what's proven to help us grow. And so I, I just am really grateful, Laura, that you did that um, and that you had the ability to do that because it really has led to, and you you grazed over this a little bit, like it has led to a completely different direction for your life and for your platform at this point forward. And you're like, oh, and you know, I wrote about it and like I had this article and like I have this podcast. Like, no, like it's been like a really big deal what's happened. Yeah. And so 
Can you talk a little bit about how this experience started to shape the direction for your life and your platform moving forward? Well, you know, my, my, my boyfriend, my partner, my hun, <laughs> Scott Slaughter, he has this, um, you've probably used this too, but he talks about spiritual breadcrumbs mm-hmm. where um, it's just this one thing, you know, in front of you on a path and you pick it up and it leads you to the next thing. And it's, you, you may not know it at the time, but it's leading you to where you need to be going. Yep. Um, so, you know, for, for me, uh, being in the writer's group was one of them. And then deciding to go on this retreat was another. And then going on the retreat, which was a really big deal from making the decision to actually paying all the money and flying and driving and going and then staying, like you said, was another one. Um, if I had left early, I, I couldn't have written that article. Right. I could have, but it wouldn't have been the same article. No. It would have been an article about how I left because because I was the only black one. And also, I wouldn't have known that I was because people were still arriving day two and day three. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a whole busload of black people could have come on day three. <laughs> <laughs> and then you would have looked crazy writing that article. Yeah, right? and I wouldn't I wouldn't have known. They would have been like, we um, was just late. Didn't you know? Right? I'm just kidding. <laughs> And then, you know, seeing, seeing that, that, that post in um, the Facebook group that I'm a member of called the binders with looking for that um, call for submissions on race and submitting and then the article going live and, and then taking, I was also in a podcasting class at the time which is also really random. I didn't know anything about podcasting, but I wanted to learn more because that's how I am. So I decided to take a five-week class. It was five Saturdays, three hours a class um, in person. And we learned about podcasting and then created a trailer for our own podcast project. Um, And I created the trailer for the only one in the room in there because I got the idea since the article had just come out. So each one of these things, you know, kind of led to the next thing. And, you know, I, I posted a, a picture on Instagram of me recording the trailer, not thinking that it would lead to anything. And it led to a friend of mine seeing it, who's a podcaster who connected me with these two women who have a podcast network, not a network like iHeartRadio, but it's like an ad network. Mm-hmm. Um, and they helped me create the only one in the room. You know, this was just a little over a year ago. So all this stuff happened in a period of like from the the deciding to go to the retreat to creating the podcast was like a five month period. <laughs> it, yeah. it all happened really quick. Um, and, you know, I felt very strongly throughout the process that I. <sighs> And I don't want to say this and sound, I don't want to sound arrogant, but that I am uniquely qualified to carry this message. Yes. Because yes. I have some access to people who need to hear it. Yes. That other people don't. Yes. And you know what? You don't sound arrogant. And I want to be very clear on this for everyone listening is what you've done is what I often hear Oprah talking about and which many different spiritual teachers discuss is you were in the flow of your life and you were doing the thing that only you, only Laura could do, you know, and the thing that uniquely you were able to put into the world based on your experience and your interests and your skills and you were in that flow. And I think what's so amazing is, and I find this consistent theme with all the people that I interview You know, everybody sometimes expects that life is going to look like I had this plan and then here's exactly what happens. But what happens, again, like our sister Oprah often says, is like what when the magic really happens is when you actually surrender to the flow of your life and Mm -hmm. let go of how you thought it was supposed to look and then show up in the moment with what is actually appearing in front of you. And so it's just amazing because you I want to really take my hat off to you here. Because what could have easily happened if you were in a space of fear or being closed off and or 
you were not the person whose life experience led you to having this kind of result, you could have completely shut down. You could have left. You could have not written about this. You could have just talked shit about it with your girlfriends and mm. and closed off. And the world would not be receiving this incredible gift that's been a podcast, the only one in the room with tons of incredible guests and stories and your work and your art and and really the unique message and voice that you've been able to put out into the world. So I want to thank you for listening to those crumbs of curiosity, those breadcrumbs and following them because it's become a blessing for every single one of us. Mm, thank you so much for that. I love the way you articulated that. Uh, mm. it, everything about it felt right. And you're right. I, I was in the flow. Um, yeah, I was and I was it didn't look like I thought it was going to look at all. No. But I just kept, um, you know, accepting what it was and, yeah. and continuing forward. And asking the question, so, yeah. how can I, I think even if you weren't asking this directly, what it looks like from the outside is you were asking this question constantly in, in each of those moments where you had a choice. And I want to encourage other people, everyone who's listening to get this. In those moments, your question seems to have been, how can I serve? How can I learn? How can yes. I serve? How can I show up? How can I learn? Not how can I gossip? What the fuck is wrong with this? How can I blah? <laughs> you know what I mean? And you really have created yeah. something beautiful. So, you know, Laura, one one interesting angle to explore here that I'd like to look at is how sometimes the exclusion of us often leads us to creating our own spaces to feel welcome. And this can really apply to any group of people, you know, so... How important is it? Because I know we've talked about how important it is for us to be a part of spaces where we may be different because we can learn. But how important is building communities of us together um, so that we can get our seat at the table? And, you know, like how important do you find that part of the puzzle of us just coming together as a people? First extremely important and and just boy what a relief that we're able to do that yeah. because for me the way I lived my life for so long as an adult you know I felt like I didn't have a choice like I had to assimilate or else yeah right yeah I had to find my way into this dominant culture and learn to be a part of it or or else I would be irrelevant or wouldn't be successful and or, or any of that. And then to find that not only is it okay to seek and create these spaces where people who look like me and have had the same experiences can congregate and exchange experiences and ideas, um, it is important that we do this. Yeah. Like that, that, you know, that, that was a revelation to me. Yeah. That, that this is, this is, that's what my kids do. You know, my my 20 and 20 year old sons, they have a very diverse group of friends, but they are very pointedly um, make they make it a point to commune with people of color, other young black men. Yeah. And but do you ever find it frustrating, though, that sometimes when we do this, it gets turned on us and called racist, like when we're creating spaces where our voices can be heard? Like I think about yes. the controversy that just happened around like the honeypot target ad for Black History Month, you know, and, mm, um, yes. and and thinking about when we do create things that are for us, then people are like, what else? Why is that? You know, what do you like? How do you think we deal with that? Or would you, do we just accept that as part of the process? Well, you know, I, I sit on the board of this school here in Los Angeles. It's the Buckley School, and it's a K through 12 independent school. It's been around since 1933. They admitted women in 1957 and then black people in 1965. Wow. Um, my kids went there for uh, from kindergarten through eighth grade. And um, while they were there, I created a, I was on the board of the school then, but I created a committee for diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I actually still sit on it. And one of the things that just came up in our last meeting was one of the things that I had helped create during my my time there were affinity groups. Mm. Um, 
because it was it was a school that had had a very has a dominant culture which is white and then there are all these other subcultures um and it was i thought it was really important for black students and black families to have a place where they could share what their experiences be what their experiences like you know being at that school and what things could be done better or what things aren't being there's not enough of you know do we need more resources for this et cetera, et cetera. so um, the affinity group that we created was a huge success, but the last meeting we had someone, it came up that there was some pushback um, and that either they wanted to have a white affinity group, a wh- mm-hmm. white affinity group, or um, make it so that affinity groups were open to everybody. And, you know, Bank of America has this new policy. They They're really forward thinking with diversity as far as their their employees go and you know just at at a corporate level they're really um really uh, intentional about about what diversity looks like in the banks and and in their philosophy around it and one of the things they've implemented in the last few years is they will not hire a a singleton that's what we call a single black person having whatever experience they have in that in that world in that diversity space mm. but they will not hire a singleton they will always hire two oh um and they will always hire in their hiring pool a black person so that means they're always hiring two um so it's not like they won't hire any because they don't want to hire two they they must bring them in yeah. so they have to bring in two people and they found that pr- production is up yeah. when there's, there's another black person there in the bank, in the branch, in the corporate office, at the phone bank, whatever it is yeah. um, that the, these people, not just the two of them, but the entire um, group is more productive. And, you know, it's just something that is, is so factual and it's so, it's, it makes so much sense and yet it's often ignored. Yeah. Um, and I, the way I put it, and I know this is really long-winded. And no, this is beautiful. You can, Thank you. You can edit some of this out if you need to. <laughs> no need. Um, the way that I put it is like if you had a daughter and you said, I'm going to send my daughter to this school, never mind that it's all male, never mind that the faculty's all male, never mind that the administrators are all male, um, I'm going to send her there and hope that she has the best possible experience. Not very many people would do that, right. right? Because you would you would opt to put your daughter in a school where there'd either be more a better mixture of of male or female. And I know now there are so many gender identities, but I'm just using this one yep. for discussion sake. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, if so, two things: if you were going to send her to that all male um, environment, how could you make sure that she had the best? Um, experience there and you would have to make sure that things were seen through her lens right at every at every avenue that the her male teachers will be able to see things through the female lens etc etc or you would take her out and put her in an environment where she could have a more diverse experience or you might put her in an experience where she would have be with all females so she would go to a girls school you know with female faculty etc etc um most people would not opt to send their daughter to an all-male environment. This is what I found when I put this question to them. And so then my next question is, okay, let's take all the black people out of this or the black students out of this, the, you know, the few black students we have out of this all white environment. Let's not do that, but let's ensure that we can give them the best possible experience while they're there. How do we see it through their lens? How do we create equity here? And make this an equal experience. And one of those things is to give them a space where they can be together and talk about what it's like. Yeah. Yep. So, this is yeah. this is so important. And I think the way that you've said this, what feels really inspiring to me, and I'm glad that you went on with this, is because I think so many of us have moments or, or work jobs or communities where we may want to put together a space, whether it's an LGBTQ space, you know, or a black space or with queer space, whatever it is that we're wanting to put together. I'm actually thinking of an organization that I'm a part of that I've been wanting to propose putting together a space of queer people of color inside this group that is an affinity group of people of color. And I've been mm. trying to articulate why. 
you know? And I think the way that you just articulated that is almost like a, a blueprint or a guide for how we mm -hmm. can talk about this with people to help people understand why we need to be with each other. So, yeah. so please, if you are listening and you want to start a group, even a small group, an affinity group where you work or in an organization or in your church or whatever, please use Laura's words and example of why, because this is shown and it's, there's actually a lot of science behind this. It's shown, you know, to be really powerful, really, really powerful. And, um, you know, I have a funny story that I've never shared on here and I feel hesitant to share. So, so I'm going to do it because I feel hesitant. <laughs> so, um, there, there was this moment, I remember, this was years and years ago, almost a decade ago. Um, and growing up, I grew up again in a super diverse environment. And I, you know, in high school, like mostly, I, I was in the closet still, so I was dating women and like undercover with men. And then in college, I was at UCLA, there was basically no black people. And my two boyfriends, like one was Vietnamese, and then the other one was white. And I remember when I was like 23, three or something like that, um, a decade ago, basically. And I had gotten to a pretty like serious relationship, my first serious relationship with a black man. And I'll never forget this moment when we had got home from some like, I was living in New York and there was this night out and we were drinking. And even when I was dating the Asian guy or the white guy, like I would always come home and like put on like some of my jams, like my 90s jams, like not like the ones everybody knows, but I'm talking like the, um, you know, nobody's supposed to be here, Deborah Cox moments. And like the, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like those moments, the Tony Braxton moments, like the B-side tracks, like seven whole days, you know, like these music. And, and I remember I came home and I had always done that before. And when I was with the white guy, or was with the Asian guy, like they'd be like, oh, what's this song? Oh, this is a good song, you know? And I came home with this black man that I was dating and I put on the fucking playlist and we both just started singing. And he was like, this is my jam. Like, this is my song. And like, but, but again, it's like this unspoken. And I remember in that moment, honestly, I was like, oh my God, like, this is the best fucking thing ever. Like, he gets yeah. it. He's in the same yeah. emotional resonance that I'm in because we grew up in the same waters, you know? Yes. And, yes. and, and it just reminds me of, of how important it is that we come together because there is this, this unspoken knowing of comfort that even though that relationship didn't work out, there was this, this comfort and this relaxing of like, you get me on a deep level that goes beyond words, goes beyond our location, geography, and goes straight into our hearts and our souls. So uh, this, is just, this is just so important, Laura. Thank you. Well, and you know, you just reminded me, I love that story. Emotional resonance. What? <laughs> um, <laughs> I, there's a, there's a small group of women um, that are either mixed race or black that are, are my friends. Yeah. And there have been a few occasions because we all have white men in our lives. Mm -hmm. um, two were married to white men and two like me where it's the boyfriend partner. Boyfriend sounds so dumb, but you know what I mean. <laughs> I get it. Yes. Um, <laughs> man friend. And partner. Um, partner, which I get really partner. confused about straight people saying partner now. It yes, really confused. Right. I, I, I'm, I'm fine with it, but I'm like, what? what? <laughs> you yeah, know? Okay. But anyway. word. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, but there have been times where the conversation is kind of simmered down to, can we talk about this? It's hard sometimes. Yeah. Being married to somebody who doesn't share those same ties with you who doesn't share the culture. It wasn't brought up in the same culture as you. And man, you know, one of these women's from um, upstate New York, the other one's from London. Um, the other one is, is, is from here as well. But, you know, we grew up in completely different cultures, but it's still black. Yeah. Y'all could all still put on Tevin yes. Campbell and have a moment. Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> like, yes. <laughs> yeah. And, and there's, you know, there's the looks we get when we go into all black events with our white men. Um, you know, there's that shade sometimes or perceived shade. Sometimes I'm sure it just comes from within me. Like mm -hmm. I'm unsure as to how I'm going to be perceived. And, you know, I, I love, love Scott. He and I have been together for 11 and a half years. I, I you know, I, I, there's nothing that I would change about him. I certainly wouldn't make him black. 
but there is that thing that's missing sometimes yeah. of that ability to share that. And that's, and that's real. So it's good again, for me to have this group of women, Yeah, a need for a second affinity group, an affinity group within an affinity group of, of women who are in relationships with, or people probably like, you know, you could be in that group with us yeah. and have, it would be the exact same conversation. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. This is so powerful. This is so important. I I, I just, I think this affinity group conversation is something that's coming up, like birthing itself through this conversation that I wasn't expecting. And I'm just, I'm hoping to really call people to action to make sure they're pulling these groups together, like within their community. So even if you're already constantly around black people, like how can you pull together an affinity group of if you're queer, like a queer person or a women's group, or like you just said, like black women who are with white men groups, you don't like yeah. this is it, it's so important because it does help us feel seen and heard. And again, puts us in that emotional resonance so that we feel safe and understood and that we're not alone. You know, Laura, one one of the things that I want to talk about with you just very clearly right now is your podcast, the only one in the room. Mm-hmm. And it it really is like hands down one of my favorite podcasts um, out right now. I listen to it regularly. And if you're not subscribed, I just encourage you wherever you're listening to me right now, just go search for the only one in the room podcast, Laura Carthart, Cathart Robbins. And mm-hmm. um, you will find just incredible episodes of people talking about their only one experiences from all different races and all different types of people. And I just want to talk to you about as you're heading into your sixth season here, which yes. is amazing, yes. you know, what inspired you to keep going with this podcast? And especially because I think people have this misconception that a podcast is something that makes us a lot of money or that, you know, as this whole thing. So like, how is this labor of love showing up for you now compared to how it was in the beginning? And, and what do you want to share about that? Boy, I mean, you said a mouthful with labor of love. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Um, but it, but it is, you know, I, I have like, I identify as a, a writer and a podcaster. Um, and I could not make a living at either of those things. And that's, and that's the truth. I, you know, I get paid. Uh, well, I'll just say it. I get paid either a hundred to $250 per article yeah. that I write and, uh, you know, podcasting and I, you know, so like you said that I, I, I forgot how you put it, you put it so beautifully, but something about how I like to learn and, and be of service. Right. Yeah. So how can I learn? How can I be of service? That's what you said. So that's how I went into this podcasting space. Um, how can I learn? What can I learn and how can I be of service? And so I said about learning everything that I could. Um, which meant going to these conferences and um, festivals and um, conventions, uh, all of which cost money, by the way. Right. <laughs> but so I could be in space with other spaces with other podcasters and learn what, you know, what, what they know. Um, and, you know, the first thing I learned and the only thing I hear over and over and over again is how difficult it is to make money at this. It's so interesting because, um, it is, you know, you've heard people say this, it's the wild, wild west. Mm-hmm. Like people haven't really figured out how to monetize it unless you are with one of the the, the major networks, which are like Wondery or iHeartRadio or Austin. Um, um, but anyway, one of one of those big networks, if you're if you're on one of those, then then maybe you have a better chance to monetize it. But you probably don't own your own IP, right. which is your intellectual property. And so there's, there's that. So that's, you know, for us, it's like owning publishing. Yeah. Right. In a, in, in the music industry or, you know, owning a concept in the film or television industry or, you know, having the rights to something. Um, so I, I have my, I own my own IP, <laughs> but I'm paying for it <laughs> right now right um, because production costs money and, you know, you have to, it's, so there's, there's all these things that I would never have known, like creating your logo. You know, we have a website that needed to be created. Someone has to be paid to do that. And, you know, finding music, you know, which is if it's free, that's great. But there's only so much free music out there. So you have to select that and find something that, you know, fits your brand and your messaging. And 
And then there's an RSS feed, which someone has to establish for you or you establish it yourself. And then, you know, getting even just like iTunes to recognize your podcast is a big deal. Yeah, that doesn't happen automatically. You can't just put a podcast out there and everybody, all the platforms will allow access through there. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's all this, this tedium that you have to go through to actually get an episode on the air. And then, you know, then so it's, it's not even on the air. That's, that's not the way it goes. You put an episode, you know, on your RSS feed and then people can access it through these different sites if they choose to. Right. So I, not like the radio where people are just going to turn it on and hear it. Yeah. Um, they have to find me. Yeah. They have to find the only one in the room. So getting your podcast, making your podcast discoverable is is the other challenge, in, especially in a world where everything is audio. I mean, where everything's visual, sorry. Yeah. And everything's in very short bites. Yeah. Um, you know, to get somebody to, you know, use their podcast app and find you and then sit down and, in the case of mine, listen for an entire hour. Yeah to someone being interviewed is a really big ask. <laughs> it is. It's a huge ask. Yes, it's a huge ask. So, you know, another another affinity group are us podcasters. When <laughs> we come together mm-hmm. and we share the trials and tribulations of this thing that we love doing, you know, to like I'll just use the example of sitting down with you. You know, there's there was something that happened in that interview with you. And it wasn't just me, like, you know, Scott could feel it. Our engineer, Daniel Torak could feel it. Um, Christina Barcy could feel it. Our executive producer, the, the molecules in the room changed during our interview. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, the fact that you, you had us sit for a moment or a minute rather in full silence and center ourselves. You didn't have us do that. You requested it and we happily complied Yeah. from that moment forward. I felt that flow. Yeah. You know, and it was, it was, you know, I, I don't like to use the word magical too often because I think it makes it lose its magic, but there was something that I can't explain that happened during that interview where everything else just fell away yeah. and I could have talked to you forever. And at the same time, I was really aware of how interesting it would be to our listeners. Mm. I understood that this was going to be something that I was going to get great feedback on that was going to change people's lives, that was going to help people connect. It's the most exciting experience to be in the moment, completely present with you, but also know that this is going to be inspiring to people yeah. that listen to it. And so there, when that melds together... It's gold. It is. You know, I knew I had something really, re- yeah. So go, what were you going to say? No, I, I, it is. And I, you know, I was just going to say for those of you guys who may have not heard it yet, and you're just listening to, to this episode first, you know, if you go back just a couple of weeks to episode 116, um, we put out a podcast episode called How to Stand Tall, Even When You Stand Alone. And mm-hmm. that episode is replaying. We actually just lifted the episode off of Laura's podcast, the only one in the room, and then played it on ours because I felt that magic too. Mm-hmm. You know, that magic. I just said, everybody has to hear this because something amazing happened. And I think, again, Laura, it ties back to this. We share so much deep resonance with one another. And I think it just yeah. goes to show how when we're connecting with people who are like us in service, it, it really does heal and and help change so i just want to continue to encourage people to find find those groups and those people for themselves mm-hmm. whether they're on a podcast or, or not you know just in person because the energy that you're putting out into the world and the energy that you're putting out around you is healing for you and everyone else um yes because that experience that we had on that episode for me regardless of, of, it, of if it was recorded, which thank God it was, was right. a healing experience for me, you know, as yeah. a as a person. And I think for all of us in that room. So, you know, and I, and I also just want to speak to the, the thing that you said about, you know, the podcast and Labor of Love. And I'm so glad we're talking about this because, um, you know, I had mentioned to you that I, I was just speaking to this group of college students and one of the college students said, oh, I want to have multiple streams of income and and I see that you have a really popular podcast like I'm thinking of starting a podcast and I'm looking at him like (laughs) streams of income I'm like what are you talking about like this podcast does not make me not yet you know money like and even if it was 
the people that I know that are making money on podcasting is not the kind of money that people think. Like this, putting motivation for black people, and I'll, I, I'm pretty sure it's the same for you, Laura. Like this costs me money every month. This is an expense Absolutely. for me. This is, hun- and I don't say this to like make people feel bad because I love doing this. This podcast costs me hundreds of dollars every single month to produce. Every mm-hmm. single month and, and time. And I'm grateful that, and what I feel grateful for is that I have the ability to do that for us, you know? And so for those of you who are out here thinking like, I want to start a podcast to, to make money, think twice because it ain't here to make money. You have to be here to serve, <laughs> right? And to have a message yes. and, and maybe make some money later. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and it's, and it's just like writing for me, you yeah. know, is I, I, and it's a going again, um, I think we might be nearing the end. So um, I'm going back to big magic. Yeah. Right. Elizabeth Gilbert talks about you do not write for the result. You write because you love it. Right. And, And she says it in much more eloquently than I'm saying it now. But that was really what I got from it was like, oh, I'm not writing this so that, you know, I can get praise or get paid or any of this. I'm writing because I can't not write it. I have to write because that's, that's who I am. I do have that. I'm going to use your word again, your Oprah's word flow. Mm-hmm. I have it. If I stop it up, you know, I, boy, do I suffer? I need to write. I need to get this out. And the fact that somebody might want to publish it and other people might want to read it. That's, that's the gravy. Like, wow, that's incredible that yeah. you thought what I wrote was a value. And the same thing with the podcast. You know, I, this is an absolutely creative outlet for me and I get to have amazing guests who tell incredible stories. A lot of them for the very first time, you know, people have not told this story on any other forum and they come on and share these stories with me and, you know, we're all crying in the, in the studio. Like it's, it's an incredible experience. I would not miss it for anything. And yet I could not be in it for the, for the money. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Laura, well, we are so grateful and so thankful that you've shown up in service in all the ways that you have. I'm so grateful to have been able to share your voice on this podcast as both a host interviewing me and then as me interviewing you. This just has been such a dynamic experience. And I just want to know, um, as we close, is there any last message that you want to leave or that you should like to leave with everybody listening right now? And just feel into your heart for a moment, you know, and, and feel into what it might be that, that you want to make sure we leave people with. Um, well, you know, we, we didn't talk about this at all, so I'm just going to touch on it lightly. Go ahead. But I am I'm somebody who did not graduate from high school. I didn't go to college. I'm an alcoholic in recovery. Um, there were several times where I could have, should have died. Um, I'm a mom. I'm a single mom. I'm all these things. You know, there are many reasons why I just shouldn't be around. So I am so utterly grateful to be here, to be able to create, to be able to do what I'm doing, to have the access and the resources that I do. Uh, you know, my my life However my life goes, however today goes, my life is incredible. Yeah. I am absolutely living my best life. And, you know, and it, and it, and it, the juxtaposition of where it could have gone, there were so many times where it could have taken a very sharp left and it didn't. Um, there, there is my gratitude. I am so grateful for all of that. And that's, that's really where I am. So whatever happens, I'm looking at it like, you know what? <laughs> I'm so glad that I'm here and I get to do it. Every I don't have to do anything. I get to do everything that I do. Mm, I love this. I love this. One of my one I think it was a friend of mine actually recently just said like everything that you have to do, stop saying I have to do this, but I get to do this. I yeah. get to be around these people. I get to and how much that changes the resonance. And so I'm so grateful that I get to be here with you and to have this conversation with you and that our audience gets to listen to your voice. And if you haven't done so already, I inspire you to go subscribe to the only one in the room podcast with Laura, go find her on social media. Laura, what's your Instagram again? I had it written down, but I don't have it in front of me right now. Yeah, it's not very easy. It's, it's official. (laughs) 
O-F-F-I-C-I-A-L, and then underscore Cathcart, which is C as in cat, A-T-H, like Catholic, C-A-T-H-C-A-R-T, and then Robbins, R-O-B-B-I-N-S. So official yeah. underscore yeah. Cathcart Robbins. Cathcart we'll, put, Robbins we'll, we'll, yeah. put that, we'll put that in the description. And yes. um, everybody you. go go look for Laura. Go look up the articles. Go support this incredible black woman doing amazing work. And for you listening, I just want to extend this gratitude to you. You know, I say this often at the end of our episodes is because I feel it so deeply in my heart, having the opportunity to speak with you. And like Laura so eloquently said, the fact that you guys search for this podcast and listen to this podcast with everything that's going on in the world today, the fact that you put this into your ears is an honor and a privilege that I don't take for granted. And I hope that this episode helped make your day just a little bit brighter. I love you. I thank you. I honor you. This has been Justin Michael Williams and Laura Cathcart Robbins, and I will talk to you on the next podcast. Bye for now. Bye.